Good morning. It's a real joy and privilege to be able to open God's Word with you this morning, with you on this Facebook live stream from my home. This morning I'm beginning an expository sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke. And Luke's Gospel shows us, shows us that our faith in God and our faith in Jesus Christ is rooted in history. In other words, the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ is rooted in verifiable history. In the same way that history can verify something of the life of Julius Caesar, or the life of Cleopatra, or Winston Churchill, or Abraham Lincoln, Luke wrote an orderly, historically true account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so therefore it can be believed with confidence. What Luke writes about Jesus is both historically and theologically true. So this is the main thrust of Luke's introduction to this gospel. Luke wants his readers and us to know that the matters that he is about to relate in this gospel are historically true. They actually happened in history, and therefore they are believable. So if you have your Bible handy, please turn to the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. The first verse of the first chapter of Luke. Now Luke is writing here to a man by the name of Theophilus, who is most likely a prominent official of some kind. And this is how Luke introduces his gospel. Verse 1 of the first chapter of Luke. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts to understand and to know what your word is saying to us today. Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, and minds to understand. And we do pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, first of all, as we open this Gospel of Luke, we need to know something of this man named Luke. What is it about Luke that would make him qualified to write this account? Now, you might have noticed the introduction. It says it's to Theophilus, but it's not like Paul's writings where he says, from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't even have Luke's name here. How do we know it's even written by Luke? Well, we know that it's written by Luke because the same person who wrote the gospel also wrote the book of Acts. If you'll turn over to Acts chapter 1, the first verse, the first verse of the first chapter of Acts. And here we'll see that the writer is once again writing to Theophilus. And it refers to what he calls the first account. The book of Acts is the second account. And here it refers to the first account. In other words, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts are a, we could call them a two-volume set that are written by the same author. So we have it uh, in the introduction to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. 
The writer says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Theophilus, this, the first account was the gospel. This is the second account. In that first account, I wrote all that Jesus began to do and teach. I wrote about his life, his ministry, the miracles he performed, his purpose in coming, what he said, what he did, his death on the cross for our sins and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of Luke. Then in the book of Acts, Luke is going to pick up his historical account beginning after when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. But we still haven't identified who Luke is and what qualifies him to write this wonderful historical account. So turn over to the, the 16th chapter of the book of Acts for a moment. Acts chapter 16 at verse 10. In the 16th chapter of Acts, we have that uh, wonderful account. Maybe it's familiar to you about uh, Paul receiving a vision from a man from, from Macedonia. The Apostle Paul and his missionary team had been prevented from going north by the Holy Spirit into Asia, Turkey, Asia Minor in that day. And they tried to go northeast into Bithynia. And once again, the Spirit of God prevented them. And then they came to Troas, not knowing where to go, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, Macedonia appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now notice what verse 10 of Acts chapter 16 says here. Verse 10 reveals the author of the book of Acts. It says, When, when he, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, immediately we. This is the first time that the, the pronoun we is used in the book of Acts. Usually up to this point, it's been they and them. Here we see the writer who's writing the book of Acts has joined the missionary team. We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the point where a physician by the name of Luke has joined the missionary team, which already consisted of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Luke joins them at this point. And it was this physician, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And at this point in the book of Acts, Luke became a personal companion of the Apostle Paul. Luke was a physician. He accompanied the Apostle Paul. He faithfully labored with him in the Gospel. In fact, he stayed with Paul right up to Paul's final imprisonment and execution. And here's some of what else we know about Luke from the Bible. Luke was a respected doctor Colossians 4.14 refers to him as the, the beloved physician. He was personally accounted with, first, with, with eyewitnesses and what Jesus said and did. And, and this prologue or introduction in the book of Luke is written in the most polished Greek in the New Testament, which would make it appealing to the highly educated reader. We know that Luke devotes more space to the birth and infancy of Jesus than any other gospel. He goes out of his way to show that the gospel is for every class, every nation, every race, generation, and gender. And also we know that Luke was a people person. And you can tell he was a people person by the way he describes people in his gospel and he related to them. He, he saw them more as characters, more than characters in a story, 
They were real people who experienced a real time and a real place that literally changed the course of history. Now, he was writing to philosophers. We really don't know anything about uh, Theophilus. We really don't know anything about him. But Luke refers to him as the most excellent Theophilus, which would indicate that Philosophus was a prominent public figure of some kind, maybe a government official. The Greek name Theophilus means lover of God. It comes from Theos, which means God, and phileo, which means love. You might remember that the city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Philo, love, Theophilus, lover of God. And Luke's main thrust in this gospel is that Theophilus and the rest of the readers of the gospel would know the matters that he is about to relate about Jesus are historically true. They really happen. Therefore, they are believable. And Luke wrote an accurate, orderly, historical account in verses 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 1, we see that Luke's gospel is rooted in the facts of verifiable history. Back to Luke's gospel chapter 1. Luke writes, Inasmuch as many things, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. Now Luke introduces his entire work here with a short preface, preface of why he wrote this gospel. And this preface is very similar to what you would read in other ancient Greek, great ancient Jewish works like Second Maccabees or if you read the Jewish historian Josephus or the Greek historian Lucian or Herodias, ancient histories open with a short explanation of the work. It's important for Luke to write this prologue or this preface to the gospel because this is the classic way of writing in the Greek world. Any philosopher, any theologian, any educator, any historian of the ancient world who was of high quality, who wanted to write his volume in such a way that it would stand on the shelf of the classics, the great classics, with all the rest of the classics. In fact, the first four verses in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, are one long unbroken sentence. One sentence written in Greek, originally and written in the polished style of Greek that is known as literally, as literal, or, or literary classical Greek. In fact, some scholars consider the prologue to the Gospel of Luke to be the finest example of classical Greek literature that we have. And then the rest of the Gospel, he wrote that in, in common Greek, but not the prologue. And Luke did this because he wanted to establish the lofty literary character of his work. And it was obvious that Luke was a highly educated man. And by using this kind of Greek as he introduces his gospel, he is claiming a place for the gospel as a classic. He's claiming the place for the gospel as a serious work, as a work true of literary historical worth. 
to be given attention by the most sophisticated and highly educated Gentile or Greek reader. And so Luke is claiming a place for Christianity among the classics. He's claiming a place for Christianity on the stage of world history. Now, as any good historian would do, Luke talks about his sources. He writes, Many have undertaken to compile an account. The word translated account means a narrative, a narrative about Jesus, telling about Jesus. And there have been other narratives about Jesus that have preceded this. But Luke's writing of gospel history was not something totally new, but it bore similarity to the previous works that people have written, most of which are unknown today. But most of the previous writings were written narratives about Jesus that had been compiled about what Jesus said and what he did and why he had come to this earth as a man. But they were, you could say, a hodgepodge of this and that, of people's personal stories and experiences with Jesus. But here is the important fact. Notice in verse 2, Luke says that these previous compilations, verse 2, were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses and servants of the word. They were eyewitness accounts. The earlier accounts had come from people who had seen with their own eyes the sacred events that begin with John the Baptist and concluded with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. From the dead. And many of these eyewitnesses would have been alive at the time Luke did his investigation when he compiled his narrative. For example, I think, how cool would it be to read of an eyewitness account or talk to an eyewitness, someone who was there, who saw a little man by the name of Zacchaeus, who couldn't see over the crowd and wanted to see Jesus. He crawls up, climbs up into a tree, And how Jesus, passing through Jericho at the time, looked up and saw this little man in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And to read or hear from an eyewitness how that little man quickly hurried down, received Jesus gladly, and as they were going to Zacchaeus' house, he stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And to hear Jesus say to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke says those who had handed down the accounts, whether they were written narratives or oral tradition, were eyewitnesses. And then he adds they were also servants of the word. In other words, they were not detached observers, just some people who were in the crowd and writing their point of view. Rather, they were active participants in getting the word out about Jesus. What they had seen, what they had heard, what they had felt, what they believed. They were eyewitnesses who proclaimed the word, who told the story of Jesus. Then they really were preachers of the gospel. Turn over to the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 1, the first verse for a moment. 
1 John chapter 1, the first verse. Because I like the way that John puts it in his first letter. John was an apostle who had walked with Jesus and served with him for that three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. John was one of the eyewitnesses of what Jesus said and did. He was also an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And certainly as he compiled his gospel, Luke would have talked to John because they were contemporaries in history. He would have talked to John and, and John would have told him the very thing that he's saying here in his introduction to his first letter. Verse 1 of John chapter 1. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The word of life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word. He's the word of life. And John says, we heard him. We heard his teaching. We heard Jesus speak. We saw him with our eyes. We looked at what he did. We touched him with our hands. And then John continues in verse 2. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Luke's gospel, as in John's gospel and the writings of John, Luke's gospel is rooted in the verifiable facts of history from eyewitness accounts. And Luke wanted his readers to understand that this history of Jesus came from the best, most authentic, written and oral sources and accounts. That Luke's work was written in solid historiography with many reliable sources. And secondly, Luke's gospel is an orderly, purposeful account of the life and ministry of the Savior Jesus Christ. When we go back to verse 3 of Luke chapter 1, Luke continues in verse 3. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order. Most excellent, Theophilus. Several years ago, I read about a woman who was on an overseas flight. And she called the flight attendant, over to her, and she told her that she was having a heart attack. And the flight attendant asked, is there a doctor on board? And at that point, 67 doctors stood up. They were all on that flight, headed to a convention for cardiac surgeons. And imagine her joy when she saw the doctors. They were ready, willing, and able to effectively diagnose her problem and to prescribe the correct treatment until they could get her to a hospital. They had the knowledge, they had the expertise, they had the desire to take care of her and meet her needs. Doctors are remarkable people. Doctors are studious, they are methodical, they are caring, and they are people who give others hope. So I find it very fitting that God would use a physician, a doctor named Luke, in the first century to give an account of the life of Jesus. We need it. Our faith needs it. Our world needs this gospel because it answers doubting questions that can lead to unbelief. The mysteries of the birth, the death, and resurrection of God 
the Son appear so certain in Luke. And not only was Luke's history extensive, but he met the basic qualification of a good historian through research. Luke carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He studied everything. Luke spent time tracking down every detail, tracing everything thoroughly, talking to eyewitnesses who were still alive, and the result was a spectacularly accurate history. One of the famous stories of New Testament scholarship recounts the early skepticism of the famous Sir, Wan, uh, Sir William Ramsey. And Ramsey was very skeptical of Luke's history. And Ramsey trekked all over the Holy Land, Asia Minor, and Greece, and he was striving to discount and disprove Luke's history. He studied the ancient documents and the history that had been written at the time, and he researched everything he could. But the facts completely changed Ramsey's mind. So he eventually wrote, Luke's history is unsurpassed in regard to its trustworthiness. And then in verse 3, Luke writes that he worked carefully, carefully taking deep care to develop his orderly account in the way that he told the story. And the New American Standard Bible reads that Luke put it in consecutive order, the same way that one would write a biography of chronological order, but the the Greek text speaks more of an orderly account, not a consecutive order in time, one event right after another. Examining the count and comparing to other counts, it seems clear that the chronological order of events is not what Luke meant. Rather, Luke is concerned to relate the account of Jesus' ministry in a logical way, including some topical arrangement, such as grouping together many of Jesus' parables. And Luke saw his task as historian as far more than a chronological listing of facts. What Luke meant was a systematic arrangement grouped about around themes that he wanted to emphasize. And he's very artistic in this and, and is logical in this because of what well, we'd say he, he was a scientist of the day, even though they didn't know what scientists were at that point. But he, he put this in an, in an order, in a logical arrangement that was meant to pierce the reader's heart and bring him or her to the feet of Jesus in salvation. And Luke took great pains to present the gospel with maximum power. And the result is a compelling story. And our study in the book of Luke, Luke is going to be quite in a journey, quite a journey with him. So first of all, Luke's gospel is rooted in the facts of verifiable history. Secondly, Luke's gospel is an orderly, purposeful account of the life and ministry of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And lastly, Luke's gospel can and must be believed with confidence and handed down to other faithful witnesses. Verse 4 of Luke chapter 1. So that you may know, Theophilus, the exact truth about the things you have been taught. The word translated exact means with certainty. With certainty. So you may know with certainty the things being taught, that you may know with certainty. You know what this tells me? The most excellent Theophilus had some doubts. There were things that he wasn't certain about. 
It's not uncommon. It's not weird. It's not strange to have doubts. All of us have doubts. Theophilus was probably a new believer who was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. His name is Greek. He found himself in what had started out to be a Jewish movement. He may have come to Christ as a God-fearer, that is, a Gentile who first came to Judaism before they came to Christ. And Theophilus may not be entirely at home in a new racially mixed community, especially if he previously had allied, allied himself to the older Jewish community. He'd be wondering, do I really belong here? Is this what, is this really true? What's going on here? And Luke is trying to show Theophilus that he does fit in to this community of faith. That God had brought him in by design along with others who share the path of his journey of faith. But whatever your doubts, whatever you think of Jesus now and you think of Christianity and whatever you wonder about, Luke is the gospel for you. It's well worth your time. It's well worth your study. And I hope that you'll remain with me on this journey through Luke's gospel. I want to close with three points of application that I borrowed from one of my professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Daryl Bach, who is probably considered the foremost authority today on the Gospel of Luke. And he says, first of all, Luke tells us of God's acts in history through Jesus. The main character is not a savior made up in the image of a person's imagination. And he says, think about it this way. Who on his or her own would create a savior who makes us all responsible for our sin and then chooses to pay the penalty for that sin by offering himself. Who would design a regal Messiah who's born in a stable, never wears a crown or sits in a palace? Who would make a hero out of a figure who was rejected by his own people? You see, this history cannot be concocted fiction. It's grounded in real events of an extraordinary figure with an extraordinary story. The unusual nature of the story is a testimony to its authenticity. Its reality is the basis for the assurance Luke wishes to give his readers that our faith in Christ is not in vain. And secondly, Luke wants us to sense that we fit into God's community. God wants us to sense that we fit into his community, the community of faith. He wants us to see that the Jesus story is not only about God, about him, but it's also about each one of us. God is reaching out with power and humility to lift us up and bring us into his immediate presence. God wants to take people who are outside his care and make them insiders, involved and related personally to the God of the universe. And this is good news indeed. In fact, the word gospel means what? Good news. And the entire story reassures us that God does what he promises. Thus, the preface to Luke's gospel is not only indicating we are dealing with history and his story, but also with our own story. 
we can rest in the comfort of knowing that what God plans and reveals will come to pass. He promised to save us, and it's a commitment to deliver us completely from sin and devastation, a process that begins when we trust Christ and is completed when we share forever in glory in a sinless new heaven and new earth. And lastly, we can trust the gospel as we read it. Unlike some, even in the scholarly community, who argue that gospels are filled with a lot of fabrication or stories that don't match, Luke, as a solid ancient historian, records the real Jesus for us and reveals the heart of what Jesus is doing. He may not have used footnotes as we do today, nor did he have a tape recorder to record Jesus' speeches, but he lived in a community that passed on that tradition with care and was sensitive to telling the story accurately in a summarized form. He worked under God's direction through the power of the Holy Spirit, carefully passing on a tradition from those who witnessed what they told and what they wrote, so we can read Luke's gospel with full confidence that he is introducing us to Jesus Christ. God is introducing us to Jesus Christ. God reveals himself in the word that we may know our real need and our real story. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, as we come to this beginning of the, the story of Jesus in the historical account of Luke, Father, I pray that you would even right now, Father, touch our hearts and our minds. I think of the, the man who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, whatever is that level of doubt might be in each one of our hearts and minds and who might ever be listening as we proclaim this message from the Gospel of Luke, Father, I pray that uh, you would be at work, that you would draw each one of us ever closer and closer to the Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might know him and the power of his resurrection. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a wonderful journey ahead of us in this Gospel of Luke. And uh, if you'd like to make a, a donation or support uh, my ministry in this, you can go to beholdingisglory.org. That's all one word, beholdingisglory.org. And uh, there on my sermon podcast page, you'll see a button that says donation. And, and you can press that. And any amount that you would like to give would be wonderfully appreciated. And I would thank you for that. It, it's a, a secure website through podcast uh, that you can give that. And I hope that we'll be able to join one another again this time next week on this podcast. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you. May he keep you in perfect peace. Amen and amen.